Hi, and welcome to Second Rate Film School. I'm Andrew. I'm Jake. And I'm Eduardo Sanchez. Yeah, we don't have Jacob here today. He's got a conflict, but I guess if we're going to have to replace him with anyone, we might as well replace him with the director of the Blair Witch Project. So I'll do my yeah. best, man. I'll do my best. So yes, welcome. We're doing 1999's The Blair Witch Project, and it's um, very cool. We have the co-director, um, Eduardo Sanchez, here with us today. So, you know, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. This is going to be fun. Thank you. Yeah, you obviously did um, a commentary track in um, 99 for when the DVD initially came out, but figure it might be interesting to now talk 20 plus years on and where, you know, the film has gone since then. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm amazed that, you know, it's still so popular and people still want to talk about it and stuff. It really is, uh, it's, I never thought that I would have a film in my, uh, career that would be, you know, that would still be talked about 20 years later. So I appreciate the interest. Yeah, yeah. of course. I, I think it was one of the uh, defining uh, horror movies of the of the 90s along with scream i think i think it really breathed a new life into the genre yeah it was right before sixth sense yeah and, oh yeah uh, that's you know and that summer really you know and, and you know horror before that i mean i've always been a horror fan but yeah. you know it wasn't quite uh i think the scariness had kind of left the horror genre for a while there um and, uh, you know, we luckily were part of bringing it back. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, the thing is, I read an interview where they mentioned Stephen King says, you know, the reason why the movie's so scary is it feels real. Like, he's like, you know, everything about this movie and that, you know, we'll get into that, you know, how many people believe the movie is real, you know, unlike most other found footage movies, this one, you know, feels like this, you know, I mean, it was actually being shot by the actors. It doesn't feel like there was... A ton of like okay we have to like plan this is going to be you know, how's this you know i mean obviously the camera's shaking right now it feels natural yeah yeah i mean that was our main thing because you know this was you know when we did the movie it was the first time you know um at least in our minds it was the first time that it had been done um you know years later well a few years later uh, we found out that um you know we we were uh introduced to cannibal holocaust and we realized that that was the exact same premise as our film uh you know only in 1979 but dan and i had never seen that movie so we were as shocked as anybody else when we actually watched it and we were like holy crap so you know for us it was this is the, the first time that somebody was doing something like this was having the idea of like finding footage and then doing a documentary about you know these people basically lost in the woods and dying um so it was really important for us for everything to be real. Like we didn't want any extra lighting. We didn't want anything to, um, to, to give away that it was a, you know, that it was a movie, that it was a movie being shot by filmmakers and actors and stuff. And so every step of the way from the cat, you know, the writing to the casting, to the, you know, locations, casting the X, you know, the, the, the supporting characters, it was all about like finding people that felt real and felt kind of awkward in front of the camera if we needed to be them to be. Um, but, you know, everything, you know, was, this was supposed to be 1994. So everything was played as real, real, you know, everything. So that's kind of the, the, the prime, you know, objective of, um, you know, the, the, of, of the film when we first started is just let's, let's not give it, you know, obviously people are going to find out this is not a real, you know, occurrence, obviously. 
but in the movie itself, we didn't want to give anything away that that gave, you know that gave it like okay, that's, this is a, obviously a movie because they hired this person or they have this or whatever. So uh, that that was the main importance thing for us. Yeah, well, and that's again, it goes on to like how effective it is that so many people believe the movie was real. I mean. I watched this movie a couple years ago with my roommate and his girlfriend, and when the credits came on, she's like, wait, it was fake? Like, she genuinely still believed the movie was real, so you did yeah. a pretty damn good job there. Um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we did it. I think we did a good job. Yeah. Now, the qu first question that I have here is, um, I noticed when I was listening to the um, commentary, you guys were still kind of implying the um, myth, at least, of the Blair Witch was real. You mentioned um, when Susie and Ingrid are on screen, like, oh, you know, this woman just you know, came up and she was riffing off them really well. She wasn't planted. And there's, like, several implications that that the myth is still real. So, and then a lot of the, um, I know the Oni comic books that came out shortly after the movies portrayed it as you guys going in the woods was fake, but the legend of the Blair Witch was real. So when was the, there the decision that you guys would be like, okay, we even made that part up as well. Um, you know, I think, you know, it was kind of, I mean, you know, I don't think we ever, expressly told people that it was real but we just didn't tell them it wasn't real even though the yeah. movie you know we never like told people that the movie was real at least you know dan and me never you know we never did an interview saying oh no this is real footage and you know you know we never crossed that line but i think the myth was kind of fun to play with um and i think that was kind of part of the you know the magic of it like curse of the blair witch there was a documentary that came out right before the movie was released and i think that was um, another major factor as far as why people believe that it was real because it was like this, you know, truly very uh, realistic looking documentary about, you know, the footage and about the, the, the myth. Um, and, you know, and even now, like there's still people, you know, you kind of start, you know, almost like believing that it is real. I mean, people really do want to believe that this thing really happened. Um, so, you know, I think early on we kind of let people, you know, uh, we kind of led people on a little bit as far as like the Blair Witch, you know, myth being real, but we never really never took it completely seriously and like never said, no, no, this is absolutely real. Um, we kind of just, you know, played around and kind of pushed people. Um, if people thought it was real, we didn't want to, you know, ruin that. Um, but I mean, yeah. And, and it's, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people are, I, even to this day, probably there's some people who probably believe that the legend is real and the movie is not real. Obviously it was just, yeah. you know, reenactment, but, um, because there's still like, you know, people looking for, you know, is there any, was there any, you know, factual evidence to, you know, to, to ground our uh, idea of the Blair Witch mythology. And there really wasn't anything, you know, we took it from all these other things that we, that, that we saw and we had read around us. Um, but, uh, you know, it was just a kind of a fun thing to do to pretend that the, that Blair Witch, the Blair Witch actually existed. Actually, yeah. that kind of goes into to my question of the development process with the script. And I know it wasn't a traditional script. I think it was like, I read like a 35 page document or something like that. But would you care to shed light on just that development process? Yeah, it was like, you know, uh, Dan and I came up with the idea in like 1991. And then it was basically, you know, a, a filmmaking crew goes into the woods and disappears. And then many years later, like our original idea was like they disappeared in the 70s. And, we, you know, they, all we found was you know, film reels, but we were in film school. And we were, there was the first time we were working with 16 millimeters. So we were like really enamored by, you know, film, real, real film. Um, 
So it was still called The Woods Movie at that point. And then Dan and I went on and did some other things. So we graduated from school. I did a feature. He, we did a feature together. Um, and uh, then, and, and so, you know, the idea for Blair Witch kind of continued to develop, but not very, you know, not, not very much. It was very once in a while, we'd be like, hey, what about this and this, whatever. And then it wasn't until 1996 when we came back and said, all right, let's make this movie finally. We named it Blair Witch. And that's when we really started to kind of, um, you know, tune into all the beats and all the story uh, conflicts and all the stuff that, you know, that goes into kind of a regular film, a regular script. Um, but, you know, we knew the movie was going to be improvised. Like we felt that, um, you know, th there's no way we're going to be able to write this dialogue out. We, you know, it has to feel like it's just coming, you know, it, it has to feel completely real. So we didn't think that writing the dialogue was going to be much, was, was going to be a good idea. So we, Dan and I just basically did this outline. Uh, it was a script basically without no, without any, uh, uh, you know, dialogue. And, uh, you know, and we just kept honing it, you know, kind of, kind of honing it down and kind of, uh, you know, really breaking out the beats. And then once we got to Maryland, um, we started, uh, you know, we, we started scouting locations, we found the woods and then, um, you know, kind of nailing down where everything was going to happen. Like, here's where the stickman force is going to be. Here's the first night of camping, you know, kind of laying all that out. Um, but the story had already, at that point, I think had already pretty much been laid out. So we were just kind of following the blueprint and kind of breaking it down and trying to figure out how we were going to shoot all this stuff without, you know, with, with little to no contact with the actors. Mm -hmm. uh, but the story really kind of, the, 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 the script itself developed just from like the idea of like, okay, uh, this film this film crew goes missing in the 70s and whatever and you know then they find their footage and we do a documentary about it and uh the uh and then event really quickly once greg hale our producer got involved he kind of he was like you know he he we realized that doing a set you know a movie getting footage from the 70s was not going to be easy it was not going to be cheap so and also you know we couldn't we weren't going to be able to afford that much film you know um so he was the one that suggested, well, why don't we shoot it on video, kind of a behind the scenes. And we're like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And, um, and then that's how the kind of the, the, the film that Heather's shooting, which is black and white. And then the behind the scenes, that's most of the film, the stuff you're seeing now, like, here's a good example, like right here, they have the, you know, the film is playing this, that's a 60 millimeter footage. And then Heather's shooting back with the video. So we really love that. Um, but you have to remember that like when we were writing this part of the, of the movie, um, we weren't actually writing the movie. We were writing just a section of it, you know, because we were going to go back. The plan was always to like shoot this with Mike, Heather and Josh, and then, um, go back and do a real documentary about it. Like, you know, here's the footage, here's where they go into the woods and then talking to the parents kind of a mix between, you know, Blair Witch Project and Curse of the Blair Witch. That was really what the original idea was. And then, and then really as we edited it is really where a lot of the development and the story development came, um, you know, as far as like reworking the, the initial idea of the movie, which was like, which turned it from a conventional documentary examining this footage um, to just the footage. Um, because, you know, it had, this had never really been done before. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. you know, so we were kind of just making the rules up as we went. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's, you know, so the movie really came to life in the editing room when Dan and I kind of got in there and, you know, we, we 
you know, we shot a bunch of documentary stuff. We tried to stick it in. We worked a couple of months trying to figure it out and it didn't really work. So we just ended up throwing it all away right before um, Sundance and going with this, with a cut very similar to what you're seeing here. And obviously, you know, I think that also played into, like you said, um, making people think, you know, wait, is this real? Because now you're seeing a separate documentary on sci-fi and I know they've you know, do, you know, documentaries and behind the scenes stuff to yeah, promote movies. Yeah, but, I mean, it, that's it makes complete. it incredible because it's, yeah. you know, different sources. Yeah, absolutely. And that's back when sci-fi would like air, you know, not just the TV movie of the silent movie of the week, you know, they had um, old reruns, I think of in search of still at the time and all that. So it yeah, felt yeah, incredible. It was a different, that it was a different channel for sure. Yeah. So, um, uh, with the scene here that we're dealing with now, um, the two fishermen, you know, that we're, this is the last time we're going to see any um, other people other than the three actors. And, you know, we didn't really get to touch on it, but like all the people you've got, you know, between the old man talking about Rustin Parr, the younger guy, um, Susie and Ingrid, and then all the other people, like these were all like very well um, chosen people. You, know, you feel, get, really get the idea of like middle America, like they all feel you know, real. It's not like um, in um, Blair Witch 2, um, Book of Shadows, when they're interviewing the townspeople, a few of them feel real, but like a lot of them feel like they came from central casting. So this, you know, really added to the quality. It's like you said in the commentary, those two guys are supposed to be father-in-law and son-in-law. You get like, you feel like there is a bickering relationship that they've been, he's been married to his daughter for like 30 years. And, yeah. you know, they don't really like each other, but fishing is the one thing they can get along with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of it was just, um, uh, you know, like a lot of just was was luck, you know, like we like the most of the people that she, that they interview were cast by us, you know, but mostly it was just like like um, those two fishermen, uh, Bob Griffin, who's the older uh, fisherman, he was cast just, you know, we had uh, somebody that was helping us with local casting. And he just looked right. And I thought, oh, that's gonna be great. And then the other guy was a guy Ed Swanson, who I used to play softball with, really nice guy. And I was like, man, this guy would be cool in this part, you know? Um, so, you know, that was the first time they had, they literally met each other like half an hour before that scene. <laughs> and I, you know, we wrote them two different kind of bios, you know, to, to kind of, you know, what they were, were just, they're supposed to talk about, their point of view. And they just played it perfectly, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And uh, pretty much everybody played it perfectly. I mean, there was one person that we hired to be in the movie that didn't work out. It just didn't, the scene didn't work out. And she was kind of a little too nervous, being a little too obvious. Um, but luckily we had all this other material. And then Heather, the Ingrid um, moment and Susie movie moment was basically, you know, that was just completely, completely luck. You know, um, Heather was Going, they were going around interviewing people and um according to Susie she saw them and nobody wanted to get interviewed by them and you know they were kind of everybody was kind of you know it's a small town this is like in I think Brunswick in Maryland uh which is still like I, I live like half an hour from from where we shot all this stuff so um it's like a local lo local little town and I think people just didn't want to be interviewed um and then Susie, so Susie was there and she's like, I'll, I'll be, I'll get, you know, I'll be interviewed. So she kind of played along and she was just making it up. She had never heard of the Blair Witch or, um, and then we have this, you know, we got this incredible moment with, you know, Ingrid trying to, you know, close, you know, shut the, her mom's mouth. I mean, you know, you can't direct those kinds of things. So, um, 
you know, really that, that, you know, Blair Witch is filled with those moments where like, you know, the, the, the planets aligned and just everything kind of came together and, 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 you know, worked out for the betterment of the film. Now, what, what was it like co-directing with, uh, with Daniel Myrick? I imagine it must have been easier in a, in a situation like this with a, with a lower budget, but just, would you care to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, Dan and I had been friends since film school. You know, we met at University of Central Florida. and We actually made another film together at the end of our, I guess, our second year in film school, like our thesis film. And we made, you know, we wrote it and directed it together. And it was a really good collaboration. And uh, we really knew each other. We felt had some very uh, similar sensibilities. And then we came up with this idea together, Blair Witch. And... Um, and then was so when it came down to actually directing, um, when once Greg Hale got involved, Rob Cowie, you know, all the producers kind of get, you know, we started kind of coming up with a plan. We figured that, um, you know, we, we we had two parts of the movie. We had Phase One and Phase Two. Phase One was all the the stuff that you're seeing here in the woods. Phase Two was all the documentary stuff, and um, just kind of I don't know why we chose it this way, but I I was the I was the lead director on the footage part on this stuff. And then Dan was the lead director on the, the documentary. And really it just meant that, you know, we, we ran everything by each other, but it was kind of like one person was kind of, you know, in charge of moving things forward. And it kind of worked for us because, um, you know, while I was kind of concentrating on one thing, the directing notes, Dan could be doing something else and bringing Intel to us and saying, Hey, I think we should do this, whatever. Um, so it worked out really well. And then once we got to Orlando, you know, he kind of took over the phase two uh, side of things. Um, and even though, you know, I worked on it as much as he did, he definitely was, um, you know, calling the calling the shots and, you know, taking charge of that kind of stuff with, you know, input from me. But so it worked out really well. I mean, you know, it, it um, I don't know uh, if I could have done, you know, it's hard co-directing, you know, every, it's always difficult, but this made it a lot easier because we were able to kind of have part one and part two and then kind of give each other's, you know, be, be supportive while the one, you know, was, was doing the, the primary directing functions, you know, but, uh, but again, it was, you know, the movie was really co-directed by me and, and Greg and, um, Dan and also Greg Hale, I think. Um, I love this scene, with Mike's chest hair scene. Um, I don't see it pure, pure gray in there. I do not see yeah, yeah, yeah. soft after. Um, but it was very much a collaborative effort. You know, even Ben Rock, you know, was a production designer. Rick Marino was the art director. Like, you know, and obviously the actors. Like, it was all very much, you know, um, we were all kind of directing this thing together because we had to, because it was just, you know, there, there wasn't a, you know, me and behind a camera and actors in front of the camera. It was literally the, 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 the film was going on, you know, in real time in the woods with very little supervision. So um, we all, I think we all did a little bit of directing uh, during those two weeks. Yeah. yeah well, that um, leads me into like um, a question I have is, you know, we, you talk about it in the um, original commentary that the bickering had already started the night when they were in the motel and all that. And, um, you had to cut out a lot of stuff because it was getting a little too adversarial, a little too early. You know, you, and it, it's the perfect balance in this version, the final version, where they're teasing, like, okay, don't get us lost, but you can kind of feel like the undercurrent that they're getting a little ticked off. Like, and, you know, the, uh, working on student films that did go into the woods, not to have to camp, but like, you know, the person be like, oh, don't worry, we have to go this way, and then we you know, carry all <laughs> this heavy equipment. It's like, I could see 
you know, you're still friendly, but you're getting a little pissed off. Um, I know originally there was supposed to be, Josh and Heather were supposed to be former lovers, and, you know, that was supposed to be an interesting dynamic, and, you know, Mike was supposed to be the one to be originally taken out, but um, you had to cut all that out. Was there any moment when you were on, like, looking at the dailies and dealing with this as it was being shot that you are like, oh, we're changing this on the fly because their, you know, dynamic is a lot different than we pictured it? Or were you totally like, you know what, fine, they're not lovers, you know, they're arguing a little bit more, but this still works? Yeah, I mean, I think the lovers thing, you know, was the kibosh was put on that pretty early um, by both, I think both Heather and Josh were like, no, we don't, you know, I don't think we should go there. Um, and, and really for us, um, you know, like when we cast the movie, it was like the three best people that kind of, uh, you know, that felt different, you know, um, like Mike and Josh, very different dudes, you know, Heather, very strong leader. Um, and, um, you know, so, so, you know, and for us, it was just basically like the best actors in that, that combination. So, and we always felt like, look, if, you know, this is, you guys are going to be stuck in the woods for a week. If there is going to be romance, if there is something, then let's use it. But it's completely up to you guys. You know what I mean? Because I'm not going to force you guys to have like a, you know, a sex scene or something. I mean, you know, that's just not, <laughs> it was not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, and like a lot of it, like we just kind of let them, you know, we, we gave them the background for their characters and what they had to do, you know, because they were all from Maryland. They had all gone to school together. So we kind of filled in those gaps, but the rest of it, you know, I, we were all pushing, you know, we were all pulling from their, you know, as much of their past as, as they wanted to bring into the story. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, you know, that kind of, you know, we kind of let it off, let it left, left it up to them to see how far they wanted to go with it. And then the removing Mike, you know, the removing Josh instead of Mike, um, you know, the, the sound guy, which was Mike, was always the one that was supposed to leave. And Heather, you know, the Heather and Josh, you know, the the cameraman and the film and the director were supposed to, the ones that were supposed to get together. But as we watched the footage, um, Heather and Josh were really just at each other's throats so much. You know, there was just a lot of, um, you know, uh, there were just really two really strong characters and they were all kind of bashed. They were just bashing their heads all the time. And then even though Mike got into fights and stuff, it, it felt like Mike, um, it felt like there's more, you know, there was more layers there. And we just felt like if jo if we leave Josh and Heather together, um, you know, what are we gonna see? Is it just gonna be more shouting? And, you know, it, it just didn't feel right. So Dan and I were like, you know, maybe we should take, you know, Josh out. Um, and then, um, and then in the editing room, once we took Josh out, you know, there was a kind of a cool little thing between Mike and Heather developed. There was like a little, um, you know, there was like a more camaraderie, and I, you know, we felt that that you know it, it was it was a good little combination between them. And um, you know, it's almost like a calm, you know, when when Josh left, especially in the original footage. Um, and then, but basically, what Dan and I went back and we said, well, I mean, we, we liked the fighting. But it would be interesting if we had Mike be more, you know, do more of the fighting and more of the yelling and more of the confrontation with Heather and cut all the the, the Josh confrontations out until the very, you know, until the, the end when they're all kind of fighting. Um, so Dan and I kind of went through and basically 
cut out all the stuff, you know, that, that made Josh and Heather kind of, you know, kind of the, the, the fighting. And we brought, we kept all the Mike stuff, you know, all the arguing about the map and all this stuff. And um, because, you know, we still wanted there to be turmoil. We still wanted there to be conflict. Um, we just didn't want there to be as much as Josh and Heather were, were, were giving us, you know, at that point. And it was like, you know, I mean, I think Heather was being really uh, dominant. Um, and, you know, she was a director and, you know, it was like, you know, you know, I, I understand why she took that, you know, that character trait and like really uh, ran with it. Um, but, you know, we had to tell her to tone it down a little bit. We told her, look, you know, you, these guys are doing you a favor. You know, you're not paying them. These guys are just guys you went to school with. You know, you don't even know Mike, you know, you, Josh, you know, a little bit, but you don't know Mike. And it's like, you have to be cool because these people are, they're bringing you this equipment they could just leave in the morning if, you know, they're not, you know, they have no reason to be here. So you have to give them a reason to be here. You have to be the kind of leader that, you know, inspires them and busts their balls, but also inspires them and, and makes them believe, you know, in your vision. Um, so, you know, I think it, it, um, it worked out in the end, but it, you know, you're always going to have, you know, bits of conflict like that between actors and, and characters and stuff. So, yeah. Well, and you do a good job cutting out because, you know, obviously we do see Heather and Josh um, fighting, especially when it gets to, the, you know, the map back and forth. But, you know, you're watching the cut without knowing anything about it. You wouldn't know that they had the more adversarial um, relationship when most of the filming was being done. And, you know, you still have, you know, um, the famous fire scene that we just passed, you know, where they're doing the Gilligan's Island jokes yeah. and all that. It's like, it still feels like, yeah, they're, you know, they're getting along. Yeah, they can be pissed off at each other, but, you know, this is now when they're starting to get like really fucked with, you know. Yeah, and this, yeah, this is like the this. night. Like yeah. this was after this night, and this is uh, you know when we went back and watched the footage of this night, um, you know there, there was an issue, especially this scene right here where she's kind of yelling at Mike. I mean, because it went on for a while. Like, you know, Heather was just being really difficult, and then in the morning, um. I guess right around this, right before they shot this, Mike and I think Mike, both Mike and Josh wanted to, they, they, they left word in one of the, you know, cause I, obviously that we weren't there, Dan and I were not there. So they left word with Ben who had, who was Ben Rock was, we were all kind of in charge of, you know, keeping the, the, their supplies going, which meant, you know, tapes and batteries and also food, whatever they needed to exchange. We would grab the old tapes from, you know, the used tapes from them and used batteries um and ben, they told ben hey we need to see dan or ed you know we just need to talk to them real quick so i went down and met with them and they were just kind of like you know we we want to kill this woman you know like we she's just being really aggressive and so i you know so i put and i was like i, I agree with you i've seen the footage whatever so i went you know i took heather and i said look you need to like i told like this the kind of kind of the pep talk like we need to have let you know we can't start it at 10 you know level 10 already you know we have to kind of build up so if there is if you are having frustrations with them just keep them you know keep them simmering until the end and then we can you know you can kind of build up and you know but right now you have to be kind of nicer to these guys it's just you know character wise it just makes sense or else they're going to walk out of the woods you know with with and, and with your film you know um but you know so it, but it was a difficult and then this day was really difficult this was like rain and um 
this was like the hardest day of the shoot they, they got they got ahead of us and um ended up um breaking scenario and finding a house that was nearby the woods and, and calling us on the phone and saying where the hell are you guys we lost radio contact with them so it was this was this was the bad the worst day for production for sure it just rained they were moving much faster than we needed to, them to move and then the, the and again the rain just kind of made everything wet and very difficult we were also moving base camps at the time so this was the only time where i think the production kind of um lost track of the actors and like really uh dropped the ball at this point yeah and i remember um i saw like the um the actors did like a um, convention appearance and they talked specifically about this day and um how they were getting starting to get annoyed of them having to set up the tents themselves every day and that was a big issue was when they got to their camp this day you'd already set it up and the tent was like partially flooded that they we're now getting like upset. It's like, okay, do we really need to get footage of us filming every, you know, setting up the tent every day? And, you know, they wanted to just get out of the rain. So I can imagine yeah. getting yelled at and then being cold. They're starting to be like, okay, we're, how many more days are we doing in the woods, guys? Yeah, and those, exactly. You know, and again, like, you know, they were, you know, they're dedicated actors, but they're also, you know, human beings. And, you know, it was not a good day for anybody. Actually, I, I have a question too. This is a little more practical one, but how did you guys raise money for the movie? Um, we, I mean, we, um, it, uh, we tried to do kind of like, you know, get the rich people in our, you know, in our circle and to, to give us money. And, um, we did like a, a, um, like a 10 minute video kind of explaining what the, you know, like a pitch video explaining what this movie was and what the footage was and all that stuff. Um, but um, we never, we didn't really have much success. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's very difficult raising money for a movie. Um, and we were only looking for like, you know, fifteen twenty thousand um, $20,000. The biggest chunk of money that we got was, um, we 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 were part of a show called Split Screen that aired on Bravo back in the uh, late '90s, and um, we uh, we we got the investor tape to John Pearson, who ran the show, and he loved it, and he actually aired that the investor reel um, in on his show, and he paid us some money for that, and then he paid us up front for another episode because we were about to start sh we were about to shoot the movie. And, uh, and really that money is really what is the majority of the money that we use to shoot the phase one part of the movie. And then we got little chunks here and there, you know, and a lot of credit card, you know, put a lot of stuff on credit cards. And then once we had this and we were editing and started, people started seeing the footage, I think um, we had a little more luck as far as raising, you know, little bits here and there. But mostly it was, you know, a lot of family members uh, putting money in. Um, and then again, John Pearson kind of saved our asses for sure. Okay. And then once Artisan picked the movie up, they threw you guys some more money too for, for reshoots, I think, or is that correct? They bought the movie and then they felt the ending was, you know, needed some work. And, um, so they went, you know, they, they, uh, hired, you know, they paid us to shoot, uh, the, you know, some, some, uh, some alternate endings, which were terrible. 
Yeah. Um, and but it was nice because we were, you know, they had, they actually paid us, and we, you know, we were actually at the at the you know at the house at the end, you know, with um, actually being paid was kind of cool, you know, being actually paid to make films was kind of cool. Um, and then that's when we went back and redid some stuff, so a couple of interviews uh, with townspeople in the um, at, at, in Burkittsville, where uh, or you know Blair because because we we wanted to add some kind of more depth to the, the Rustin Parr murders, to like what happens at the at the very end. Um, and then artists and luckily um, you know they redid the sound mix. You know they started spending some real money on it, and uh, eventually. Um, they let us go with, you know, with our ending and, uh, you know, you know, and they were cool with it. I mean, they, you know, Artisan really was, a, we did really, we really found the, the best partner as far as studios were concerned uh, for Blair Witch, for sure. Um, and, you know, the marketing they did and the fact that they let us go with our original ending and they had never, you know, they really, they really did let us have our director's cut, you know, which is pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, so, you know, it, it was, again, the kind of the planets aligned and, and, and found us the right distributor to take the chance on us, you know, but yeah, we, we redid the ending and then we redid a couple of interviews in Burkittsville. Okay. So, and yeah, that's interesting because, um, and we'll get to obviously when we get to the ending, but, um, yeah, I've seen those alternate endings and, you know, while a little unsettling, I mean, you can't top like what's there. I mean, that is obviously one of the most iconic shots of not just the movie, but like horror history. And you know, I don't know how many times I've seen that referenced or people even just like, if someone stands in the corner, it's like, well, what's this Blair witch shit going on? Get out of the corner. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy, man. Because like we, you know, we came up with that ending, like, you know, really um, kind of, again, we, we got really lucky. We didn't know how we were going to end the movie. And, we came up with this idea and it, and it worked so well that we, you know, we really loved it. The more we, the more we, you know, looked at the movie, the more we saw the movie, the more we loved the ending. So um, it, we were really relieved when they let us keep it. Yeah. So, well, and now we're getting into they're um, now in the woods longer than they should be. And this is when I, at least for me, it's always turned into becoming really adversarial with all three of them where Heather's like, I don't care that you guys want to leave now. I have to document this really weird shit. And they're like, we, listen, we don't care if it's rednecks. We don't care if it's witches or what. Let's get the hell out of here. This clearly is not something we should be like sitting around doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and this was for us like, you know, okay, now there's proper conflict, you know, like now, um, you know, Heather's main issue is, you know, you know, main goal is to get this movie made. And now these guys are now in direct conflict. They actually want to leave the woods, you know, and for Mike and Josh, you know, their, their motivation is pretty simple. They want to get the hell out of the woods and go back to work and go back to school or whatever. Um, so, you know, here where is where it started working, where we were kind of like, all right, we, you know, we took the brakes off and let them kind of, uh, you know, get into it. Um, a lot and then just you know we figured we would we would edit we would edit the you know we would kind of sculpt it in the edit yeah and um, also now we're getting to the famous um, map scene so there's a question that I've always wondered that uh, people have been a little cagey about so it's been established you guys would communicate with them you usually leaving notes in film cans um, mm -hmm. you know stuff like Heather wants to do this you don't want to do it and that would inform them where they wanted to go so yeah. from the interpretation and what Mike has said 
it sounds like he physically did kick the map in the creek, and you even say in the commentary that he was, like, worried they were going to catch him doing it. So was this a matter of just, like, okay, guys, you all, like, put give us the map, and then Heather's notes that Josh accuses you of having it, you know Josh has it, and vice versa for Josh, and then Mike's was, you have the map, get rid of it, don't let them know until the time is right. No, no. I mean, that's one of the things that was completely um, uh, that Mike kept to himself. Okay. Um, at least that's the way I remember. I don't remember him uh, reaching out to us about the about the about the map um, because, like, honestly, man, when we saw that fit, when we saw that scene, that was the first time we had seen that. Just like everybody else, you know, like because that was one of the weird things about Blair Witch was that when we would come home and watch the footage, you know, normally when you shoot a movie or you shoot a TV show. You know, you're there, so you know the footage. Like, I rarely have to watch footage from my TV shows because I'm, I'm there. I know the footage. You know, I know, you know every once in a while I have to go back and look at a shot. But this was, like, literally, you know, somebody else was shooting the movie for us. So we were, when we would watch the, you know, we watched the dailies as much as possible, you know, during our breaks. Um, we would basically, you know, we saw that scene and our, you know, our jaws dropped. We were like, holy crap. Like, for us, it was like, we were watching a real movie, you know what I mean? Okay. And we real, and then I think that was the moment where we realized, yeah, maybe this is something, you know, this might be something because we were never sure about what the hell we were doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the way I remember, remember it was that Mike kicked the map into the creek, and I think we actually have it on video, but nobody because we went back and looked at it, we're like, holy shit! I think you can actually see him kick it into the river like the day before. So, you know, you know, and he just decided hey i think i'm gonna say it right now and it was the perfect time you know what i mean um but uh but all this stuff is just you know is is all them you know what i mean it's it's mostly mike just kind of keeping this secret and realizing that he you know it's kind of a little it's a ticking time bomb and just depends on when he's going to release the bomb and he released it at the right moment and mike and heather were like so surprised by it that their initial reaction was you know you know pretty much as violent as they get the whole, you know, between each other, the whole movie. Um, so obviously it was a very strong, uh, you know, reaction. But again, that, this was totally Mike, Mike's doing, you know, Mike right now, he's like, okay, when am I going to, when am I going to drop this bombshell on, uh, on these two? Um, and then in the edit, you know, there's, you know, we realized what was going to happen. So there was that scene that just happened where like, they're talking about the map and, just wanted to kind of lay in little things about like Mike talking about the map and this and that just to kind of, you know, you know, just to set up this scene that, that is about to happen right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, and yeah, no, it's very effective. And I know, um, a lot of people, um, have made fun of the scene where it's like, Oh, they fight about the map so long, but I mean, it's perfect. Cause you know, as, um, Heather gets into eventually when like they're then arguing about, okay, well I need the compass and she like, comes like a child's like well no this is my compass you should have brought one you know it really shows that's like they're all like you know young 20 something year old film students now way out of their depth and you know it's just perfect that it's like whether the witch is screwing with them and the map was useless or not it's just the boiling over point now yeah and and, and you know and to me like i mean you know like if you know back in the day before you know smartphones and stuff before gps 
I mean, if you're stuck in the woods, if you lose the map, man, you're, you know, you're shit out of luck, you know, you're, you know, I don't know what the hell. So for us, it was like, even though, you know, the map doesn't, it wasn't really going to do any good because they were already, you know, they were stuck in this, you know, Blair Witch bubble, um, you know, the supernatural bubble, you know, the, the map was the hope, you know what I mean? The map was the hope, the connection to civilization and to like, okay, this is the road to get the hell out of here. And I think this is, you know, the, the culmination of like, just the kind of the realization of like, the map is gone. And this dude, you know, kicked it in the, you know, so it's not, a, especially, especially Josh, you know, it's like, okay, now not only is Heather, you know, against me, now Mike has done this knucklehead thing. And so, you know, it was just really, it was just really interesting, you know, and I, but I, I'm pretty sure that we found out about this as we watched the footage for the first time. Okay. Yeah, and the, I mean, it worked out perfectly also because um, until you get to the scene when um, they've been walking around south all day and then, you know, end up at the same campsite, it could be argued there's really no, you know, definitive supernatural. This could be, you know, one of the two fishermen just screwing with them in the woods and all that. So it also works from a level of now they're completely lost and some of it does, you know, is able to obscure you know, is there really the witch? So could it be potentially, okay, yeah, they're just idiots and they don't know how to follow a compass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, at, at this point, you know, you're absolutely like, you know, because nothing really supernatural has happened other than, you know, nothing, you know, and really nothing supernatural really happens in the whole movie. I mean, they all can be kind of, you know, attributed to something else. But the idea that, like, they were, uh, they're holding on to this, you know, they're lost in the woods. I mean, everybody's been lost in the woods one way or another, you know? I got lost when I was scouting this movie and, you know, especially when the sun starts going down, it's freaking creepy. And it's like, I got to get the hell out of here, you know? So, um, you know, this just, this all just worked. It felt really natural to us. And Dan and I kind of let things happen here. And there was a lot of silence. Um, and, uh, you know, but they kept pushing each other's buttons. You know, Heather was still determined here. Like, let's get that, you know, she's still trying to be the leader. You know what I mean? Um, and it's, you know, it's heartbreaking. It really is. Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. Heather is um, often maligned. But people usually, when they criticize the movie, is be like, oh, she's so bitchy and all that. And it's like, and she can be, but it's like, you know, we just pass by where she's like really losing control. And you could hear like in her voice where it's like, she's like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing now, but like is still desperately trying to be like, this is my thing. I'm not responsible for these two. Yeah, yeah. And also, man, I mean, look, you know, there's always weird things. There's always, uh, you know, peculiar kind of circumstances when a woman is in charge of men, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, because it's like, you know, men have been dominating for so long. Um, and, you know, this was, you know, this took, you know, we shot this in 1996, right? 1996, 97, 97. So, um, you know, this is before Me Too, you know, this was still, you know, there was a lot more male filmmakers and there were female filmmakers, especially film students, you know? So for me, Heather's, you know, one of the things that we kind of, you know, loved about Heather's just natural personality is that she was, you know, she didn't take any crap. And we just felt like we wanted, we needed a, you know, a, a director that was like assertive and knew what she wanted. And, you know, and I think that, you know, the word bitchy comes across um, and, and I, and unfortunately I've used it also, um, you know, but I think that, you know, uh, 
sometimes bitchy is misconstrued as like, you know, in a, in a man, it wouldn't be called bitchy. It would be called, oh, he's being strong and he's being, you know, a, a leader. Um, so, but, you know, yeah, I think there's certain parts where she takes it a little too far. Um, but again, it's like, you know, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And that's one of the things we loved about it because we always felt that the director was going to be a woman. We always had that, you know, idea from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, and we luckily cast it perfectly. Yeah, she, she was really great. In the, I mean, all three of them were great, but I mean, she, you know, like, I mean, you've said in the commentary left, she, um, or some interview maybe, um, I've l- listened to a lot of interviews with you late this week preparing, so they're all blurring together. Um, <laughs> but like that, you know, it, it, her, some of her acting was Oscar worthy. And it's like, you know, when she like really gets into it, it's like, it's like, it's a really damn good performance. Oh, it's a great performance, man. And like, you know, I, you know, I always say, like you say, I, I always say it that, you know, I, I put up Heather's performance up against anybody, any, anybody in a horror movie or anybody, you know, in a conventional movie, you know, it's just, I think this, um, it was a shame she didn't get as much, you know, uh, as much accolades that I think that she deserved. And honestly, I mean, I know that we were never going to be nominated for an Oscar, but you know, I, any of the actresses that were nominated that year for an Oscar, I would put Heather right up there and, and she would be competing with them because I don't, I don't know any, anybody else that did, has done anything like this still to this yeah. day, you know, I mean, you can compare like maybe Charlize Theron with, you know, Monster and, you know, maybe Natalie Portman with, you know, Black Swan, but like to get in the woods and like this level of like, you know, physical degradation to a certain point you know like physical kind of conflict of just being in the woods with two dudes um not showering and you know just you know all of them went through that but you know her being the main character and the leader you know you know it really would have fallen apart very quickly if it wasn't for her you know yeah i think there's a reason why that shot is so iconic of her with the with the camera against her like that i I think you know given the circumstances and just just sort of, sort of the alchemy of filmmaking, you know, with how it's photographed. But I think it's that performance is what sucks you in. Oh, yeah. And it sucked us in when we first watched it, too. I mean, it was, you know, again, another one of those moments where our jaws were on the floor and just, like, completely, um, you know, completely taken by our own footage. And that's when you knew, you, you thought you had something there when you when you saw yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we felt like we had something special. You know, we had no idea, you know, Obviously, we never dreamed that it was going to be what it became, but we were always, you know, at that point, we were like, okay, somebody's going to like this movie, you know, it mm-hmm. might not do, you know, it might just be a straight to video or something, you know, because that's, and that's really all we were counting on is a straight to video movie, honestly, we never, you know, just judging by the way we shot it, you know, we had no, it was just basically as shaky as, as it, they wanted it to be, even though we did, sometimes we did tell, like early on, we told Heather, like, zoom out while you're walking and only zoom in when you're like, have a steady shot. Um, you know, we never had plans that this was going to be in the movie theater. So that's why a lot of people, you know, ended up getting sick. Um, that was completely unintentional, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we just also just were passing by the um, infamous "What the fuck is that?" scene. Um, yeah, you know, and I've heard the description. You know that it was supposed to be a guy in um, white, like long johns, and wrapped in um, gauze. But unfortunately, with Josh running, um, the sixteen millimeter just kept. Um, you know, the film kept jumping off the track, so you never were able to 
see it in a usable take. Um, when Artisan gave you money to go back and shoot some stuff, was there a temptation to, okay, let's go back and try and get that shot again? Or did you um, at that point be like, it's better without it? Yeah, I felt, I mean, for us, like if we had gone down the, um, if we had continued down the documentary road, because that really, that, sh that this scene was supposed to be something that we were going to examine like frame by frame in the documentary. And what Dan and I were looking for was just for a few frames where, you know, the documentarian would like actually steal the, 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 the image and you would see like this weird white, you know, you know, human figure in the woods. Um, but once we kind of went down the road of, um, you know, after, especially after Sundance, once, you know, we never, when Artisan gave us money, we never thought of going back. We, we were like, we don't need it. Um, it. You know, it was kind of an artifact from an earlier version. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we you know, it, it wasn't, I mean, it would have been cool to get. And actually, and actually like we, I don't know how we didn't get it because like Dan and I went, you know, after they were all done with their shot, Dan and Neil and I, Neil was the DP. We went off and with Dave, who was playing the guy in the, you know, white long johns, we actually went and like shot, you know, her point of view again with him at like various distances. And we were like, okay, he's 10 feet away. This, he's got this, this got to reflect all, it's got to be being, you know, it's got to be captured on the film, but obviously we were dealing with 60 millimeter film and um, we, you know, we didn't have, we, we, you know, we, we weren't really developing the, 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 this footage, you know, every day we couldn't afford to do that. So by the time the dailies came back from that night, we were like, Holy crap, none of this, none of that guy came up, you know, none of the, of Dave and his long johns, um, you know, uh, was exposed. So, you know, we were really disappointed. And I think if we, like I said, we were, we wanted to go back and like, I don't know if we would have digitally put something in or whatever, but we definitely wanted to have that moment in the documentary where there was footage where they would look and say, oh my God, look, there's something there that they didn't see, or there's, you know, we, we definitely wanted to fill the documentary with those kinds of moments. But then once we went the other way, those moments kind of died and, and you know, we, we didn't need them anymore. So we yeah. just yeah, because I think that, I mean, that would have been cool, and I had never heard that version where you said that was supposed to be for the documentary side of it, but I think what makes this, and it's like what we said, you know, not really anything supernatural definitively happens, and that makes, again, goes into, you know, making this a lot more realistic, you know, lesser um, found footage movies. It's like, well, you know, this is definitive proof, go surreal. This is definitive proof, you know, like in Parallel Activity, it ends with, you know, the demon drop face lunging at the camera you know and all yeah. that and yeah i feel like that isn't nearly as scary because you're like what is this and you know and again it's the whole the scariest thing is in your imagination so i like heard there were people like when this came out were like wait is it a giant stigma like they were like they themselves were trying to analyze the footage to like see um what yeah. was there yeah and, and that's kind of you know we love that i mean that's that was like you know what we used to do as kids, you know, you, you know, or even, you know, in film school, you like, you analyze movies sometimes scene by scene, shot by shot. Um, and we love the idea, especially in the documentary of putting things in there that were gonna, that were just completely unexplained. You know what I mean? And also I, I love the idea that like, of, um, you know, what we love the idea of like watching footage of something happening and then, we would get, we were going to go back in the documentary and say, well, the stick man is actually this, and it means that they're cursed. And 
So it's almost like the audience was going to know stuff that Josh, Heather, and Mike did not know about where they were, and it was, and it, you know, it was going to make kind of more of a dreadful kind of like, oh my god, I can't, they don't, they don't know what they're getting into, and this, you know, um, but in the end, obviously, it didn't work, um, and uh, you know, but it was, you know, if we would still, we still had all these ideas that we were just going to use the footage for, but um, but eventually the, you know those ideas kind of went out the window once we decided to jettison the, the documentary idea. Um, yeah, so now um, we're getting ready. You know, this is one of um, Josh's last days and all that. And it, um, you know, we, you had in there where all of his shit was thrown around and then the reference to um, coming up that, you know, Heather stole the stick men and then, you know, he had knocked something over. So you're getting into... Um, reasons why josh was being taken out and I yeah, yeah like josh was being targeted and, and and those are things that we found you know um you know like a lot of those things like him kicking the rock pile over that was just you know something that happened before we decided that josh was going to be the one that that had to leave um but you know but once in the edit you know you have prior knowledge of where you're headed and you're like hey that's cool he kicked that rock pile over let's put it in there and make that part of the reason you know maybe why he's being you know targeted um but yeah it was just basically dan and i wanting to get rid of josh um before mike you know and then this scene here is like you know really cool because this is one of the earliest scenes that dan and i came up with in during the writing which is the idea that like they walk straight you know, all day and they end up in the same place. You know what I mean? Um, and this is when obviously you realize that they're, that they're fucked. Yeah. Well, and from the, again, you know, the same interview with the trio of actors, they um, made it sound like, you know, you guys had given them an early GPS where it's like, you know, don't show this on camera, but this is like where you need to go. This is where we'll meet you and all that. So it sounded like not even they were aware that they had been hiking for a day to just end up back, that you made it slight enough turns. So is that, you know, really the case? Was that truly their reactions? They had zero idea that they were going to come back to the same place again and were really that upset? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't quite remember. I mean, um, I think that... Um, yeah, I don't quite remember exactly how that that happened, but um, whether they knew. But I knew I know that at, at certain points, and it might have been this day, we had them kind of zigzagging all over the place, and they figured out that we were zigzagging them, and they kind of like just, you know, they were pretty smart people, so they kind of okay. just kind of realized, okay, we don't have to be here until two o'clock, so let's just hang out or whatever, and then at two o'clock we'll <laughs> head over there, you know, because they were tired they were tired of walking also. Um, but yeah, the GPS really worked out, and that was a system that Greg Hale, our producer, um, came up with. Um, and these were old GPS units, man, where like they had uh, 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 an inherent like error in the because you know the the it was, you know it was developed by the military, so the military didn't want civilians having like pinpoint accuracy. So it was like a hundred feet of accuracy or something, so or fifty feet. So you know, you kind of had to be, you had to kind of set up an, a, a, almost a marker or make sure there was a tree that was recognizable because you couldn't go, like sometimes you would go to one place and it would have one number and then you go the next day to the same place and it would have a little slightly different number because there was like that error built in from the satellite signal. 
Um, and I guess they got rid of that eventually, you know, for the newer GPSs. But, um, you know, they were juggling all that too, man, mostly Heather, you know, because we would put the, the, the GPS coordinates um, into the GPS and then we would, and we would, you know, save them as certain things. So we would go, all right, head to waypoint two. You need to be at waypoint two by around three o'clock. And then, so there was like logistical information for Heather. And then the rest of it was like character uh, information, but she was leading that. And then it got, I think it got to the point where Mike ended up leading or I'm not sure what, but, but, um, um, and, you know, near the end, but so, you know, so yeah, there's a lot more stuff than just the acting. And this scene is, you know, again, one of those, like, I, you know, like, you know, how deep does, do they all go here, man? That you hear in the voices, how, how deep they are, how like, you know, committed to this they are. And like, they're so, con you know, convincing, especially her and Josh. Um, and again, this is one of those scenes that like, you know, I think could have gotten, you know, would have gotten a, in a mainstream movie. I think this, this would have gotten, you know, a lot more attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and you inadvertently um, were copying Spielberg actually, I think the same year. Cause you know, you said, even though this was supposed to be a much smaller element of the documentary, you want it to be, you know, really, you wanted them to be tired. And that's what Spielberg did with um, saving private Ryan, putting all the actors through boot camp because you could tell an actor, yeah, you've been hiking in the woods for five days and you haven't been eating that well, but if you put them in a motel down the road and they slept in a nice soft bed and were eating the continental breakfast before they went back out, you can't be nearly as realistic. So it works out very well with um, how, like, you could tell how frazzled they are. You mentioned, like, on the commentary, like, you know, Josh had to have a, like, neck warmer because he was, like, breaking out into, like, hives because of how cold he was. And it's like, you know, you could tell how miserable they are, and that really then plays into, like, how frazzled they're getting. I mean, it, it's very well, powerful yeah. how she's yeah, especially this, Yeah, especially this scene where, like, it's the first, you know, obviously right before Josh disappears, Josh's last scene, so we want a little moment with him. But also you realize they're in a freaking little, like, you know, six-by-six six tent or whatever, you know? Like, they're literally in a little room together, sleeping together. Um, and, you know, they didn't know each other before this, you know what I mean? Like they had, just, they just met, you know, a week before this. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, and you know how uncomfortable sleeping in the woods is in a sleeping bag, you know, no matter how, you know, good the tent is, it's still, you're still sleeping on the ground. So I definitely think you can, you know, that this was, um, you know, that they were being, they were just being worn down. You know, and yeah. it was so cool because we told them we were going to do this to them and they let us do it to them, you know. Yeah, famously, um, the backstage magazine ad um, they've said was, we care about your safety, not your comfort. So yeah. That's yeah, exactly. A pretty ominous thing. But yeah, they all knew they all knew what they were getting into. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they, and they you know, especially Heather, you know, who was like, you know, most of the crew was was men and you know, the two actors were men and, you know, she was this kind of lone woman with all these people that she had to tr completely trust, you know, with her life, really. Um, so. Yeah, I heard she actually brought a hunting knife with her just in case because she was a little paranoid. Like, okay, yeah. is this really a snuff film? Like, is this all a, like, ruse to get me into the woods? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, it was absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, you said you had a DP for this movie. How did that work with, with, with this kind of movie? He was, um, you know, Neil Fredericks. He passed uh, like 
10 years ago or a little, uh, hell now it's like what, 15, 14, 15 years ago. Uh, he was a really good friend of mine of ours from uh, Montgomery college. Um, the school that I went to, uh, the, uh, the co community college that I went to, and then he came with me to, to UCF. Um, he didn't go to UCF, but he already had a film degree. So he came up and just kind of, we were roommates and, um, he, he got to know Dan and all the other guys that were involved in the movie. And so when it came time to DP, he had a CP 16. So we're like, Hey, we'll rent your D your CP 16. We'll give you a little bit of money and then you can come and, you know, DP. And, you know, he was a little, you know, definitely kind of not frustrated, but he was a little, um, kind of confused about, okay, what am I supposed to do here? Um, but really, I mean, you know, the, he, you know, we knew that the filmmakers were going to do all the camera work. There's a couple of things that, you know, that he did, um, you know, like the, some of the re the reshoots obviously. And then also the, um, you know, the scene at the end of the, in the house, we, you know, we had to do uh, some reshoots there. Uh, we had to come back the next day. Um, but basically he was coordinating all the, you know, the visuals, making sure the cameras were loaded properly, making sure the actors knew how to, operate the cameras he ran um mike and josh through like a little mini film school just trying to make sure that they knew what they were doing um and then um he was just there you know making sure the footage was fine and making sure the cameras were char the charged and the, they were working and then that night when the cp16 you know broke he was the one you know fixing it um so it was like it, it wasn't probably wasn't much of an artistically satisfying movie for him because it was mostly just kind of keeping up with them kind of the logistics of shooting the movie. But again, you know, he was, um, you know, he, he kind of like all of us did, we backed away and like let the movie happen. You know what I mean? Um, because this movie wasn't directed in a conventional way. It wasn't DP in a conventional way. It wasn't acted in a conventional way. Um, so, you know, he just kind of, you know, our, our jobs mostly, and I learned this a lot from Blair Witch is the idea that like, sometimes the best directing you can do is just to step away and let things happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, this is the, the, the approach with everything in this movie is just let the actors do what they got to do. And, um, you know, give them a safe space enough space where they they feel like the fear but they don't really feel like they're gonna you know their lives are in danger um and just kind of create this bubble around it and let's see you know let them see what they what they what let's see what they can do and the same thing with neil you know neil kind of just train the actors and then kind of we, we give them tips like again the, the zooming out you know when you're moving make sure the camera is in the widest position um and, you know, just kind of, you know, taking light meter readings with Josh and focus and, you know, just, you know, goes back, you know, shooting with a 60 millimeter camera is a lot more challenging than shooting with a video camera. So, um, but yeah, he was just kind of like all of us kind of, you know, set up what you need to set up and then back away and let the magic happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it uh, often the movies often malign, you know, people say you can't see anything and it's out of focus. But, it's, you know, again, it goes into the realism of it. And, I, you know, back to the beginning when they were shooting the Mary Brown scene and uh, Josh screwed up and measured for meters instead of our system, as Heather calls it. You know, <laughs> it, um, 
it, it, it works out well because again that is you know a mistake you know I, being in film school I know um, we, we didn't work with that specific camera but we worked with 16 millimeter and plenty of kids I know made that same mistake so yeah you know, it, even when um, you know the teaching didn't work out well it's still I think it's still a very nice looking movie you know yeah there's obviously scenes like this where it's blackness but like when you know they're shooting some of the b-roll footage that you see in like the woods and then you know like the whole last scene in the house it's like that's like really well shot yeah yeah no i mean it was i mean it was like you know we didn't we we didn't do anything to like make the movie beautiful you know like basically the realism was you know like here the the, the lens is fogged up you know what i mean like that's just you know early morning you know basic you know, chem, you know, the lens gets fogged up, you know, so everything came from just the natural order of what was happening. You know what I mean? And, um, and again, like even that scene when Mary Brown, when, you know, she's out of focus, like a lot of, you know, I, we were so, you know, when we first saw it, we're like, Oh man, that sucks. And this and that. But to me, it like adds a weird kind of ghostly, element to her like where she's not in focus it's just a weird you know you don't see a a documentary with a, somebody in focus you never see that like it's just it's a mistake but you know it's all the footage they had so but it kind of gives to me it like adds to like the 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 mystique of mary brown you know what i mean like obviously it was a mistake that josh made but it's almost like this thing where like you can't she's out of focus for some reason, you know what I mean? There's something else there. And I just, it just gave it a different kind of, you know, feel that I really learned to like appreciate, you know? Yeah. And if, you know, if any of the other interviewers were out of focus, it wouldn't have worked um, nearly as well. And, you know, you guys like said, like how um, peculiar she was, you know, Heather, Josh and Mike in their interviews have said, you know, how quirky she was and like, she, yeah, she gives off the story. Like everyone else's, telling the story of, oh, this is what my grandmother told me. Like, you don't really get the feeling that everyone else believes it, but it's like, you feel she believes this. This is, you know, she's the only one really who had an actual encounter with the Blair Witch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, and we, you know, that was the big thing for us is casting her is like, we were so happy, you know, we were so lucky to find Patricia um, because she was very, you know, she was a very unique woman and she had a very unique energy. And, and the fact that she was, you know, she was cool with doing this, you know, like she was totally into it. She was one of the, she was the only intern that came from MC to help us. Like she helped in the house. There's pictures of her helping in the, in the Rustin Parr house, like, you know, paint the graffiti out and stuff. Um, so she had, you know, she had this spirit and this energy that, we were finding a hard time casting, you know, we were having a hard time casting her, casting Mary Brown, because we want, you know, I had to be a certain age woman and, you know, we wanted it to be, there's something unique about her something. And then see, you know, Patricia came up and it was like, wow, that was, you know, again, serendipity. Here's the infamous uh, Josh, uh, the only real blood in the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you um, said in the commentary that, you know, it's um, because of, like, how she zoomed in, you don't really get a scale for it. So you, you had some pretty interesting um, 
theories, people giving theories like, oh, is that, you know, as you refer, like, is it his manhood? Is it some internal organs? But it was just, you know, bloody teeth, which were real teeth you got from a dentist. It was bloody teeth and then some of his hair. Yeah. And it was wrapped in, you know, a section of of his shirt that he was wearing the day before. And, um, you know, again, the, you know, the serendipity of like just letting the actors do what they need to do and make mistakes and, you know, that she never really got a great shot of it. So you're kind of, you know, you're left with this like, okay, it looks like teeth, but it also looks like a tongue. It could be an ear. There looks like it's something fleshy in there. But for us, it doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's just, that's what it is. You know, that's, that's, that, that makes it even better, you know, when you don't know exactly what it is, you know. And again, less is more, you know, in my opinion, a lot of people's opinion, that's, you know, it, if you know, she came out and, you know, Josh's head was like on the stone, like and it was a really bad effect. Yeah, like, that would have been a little different. Uh, yeah, like it, that, it's like it's over the top and not needed. Like th- that's like genuinely because you're like, what, what is that? You're wondering again, is it like with the, you know, when she's like yelling, what the fuck is that? People were like, yeah, trying to put what their own theory is. And, you know, that makes it a hell of a lot scarier. To me, at least, and I'm assuming a lot of other people. Um, but yeah, you, you even mentioned though initially, she I guess Heather was just like so dumb with finding stuff that she didn't actually open the bundle initially. You had to be like, no, no, go, go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, we had to tell her to actually, you know, look. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, so, I mean, like, Mike, like, this look on Mike's face, like, you know, it's, I've, you can subscribe so much to it. Um, I've had, like, a friend say, well, he clearly looks possessed now, and it's like, or he's just, like, exhausted beyond, like, all, like, rec, you know, like, possible, you know, things that he could deal with. And, you know, he's losing his mind a little bit, and he's mentioning, like, the Cal Ripken um game right now and you yeah know, like, they're just like so distraught like i want it's one of my favorite moments is when they're deciding which way to go and they're like all right should we go east or west well it's wicked which of the east wicked which of the west which one which one's the bad one which one should yeah. we you know, like it's just like it's you can see like at that point it's like they're just so hopelessly screwed they're just like trying to like what possible thing could we do now yeah and it was it was a cool um it was a cool like like time like I, I really love this part of the movie where it's kind of like there is kind of like a peace because I think they both they both know they're screwed and, and it's the precursor to this to this scene you know um, yeah. like that whole day you know because they were basically alone the whole day and we we picked them up at a at later in the day and we drove them to the house location because the house was was a different location than the rest of the woods. And we didn't show them the house. We just drove them to like this. We walked them to this area of the woods, like probably about a hundred yards from the house. And they're, you know, the, the tent was already set up. And that's and then this is where all this happened. So this is the first scene that was in a, a different location. Yeah. And uh, so we, you know, Dan and I played around with that. Day. Okay, what what's this day look like? The day without Josh, and they're all kind of they were just exhausted. They hadn't been eating a lot, and I think it shows in the you know the way they look mike's look especially and then we mixed kind of those black and white you know kind of the sun going down shots of like okay here it comes again um, this beautiful shot of the sunset but you know you know what's coming you know yeah and then this of course is you know this I mean, is 
you know, probably the most, you know, one of the most courageous bits of acting I've ever seen in my life, you know? Yeah. yeah and, and it goes to like, you know, when people like try and criticize the acting, it's like the fact that she is able to be crying out both eyes, producing all that. And then, you know, and then uh, willingly, you know, have that put up, you know, said in the commentary, like, oh, what her must have been in her mind when she saw that, like on a giant movie screen. But again, it feels real. And, you know, Heather's said, you know, she wishes sometimes she, you know, didn't wear nearly as much padding and all that. And, uh, not make herself look, you know, traditionally beautiful, as she said, um, to help get acting gigs. But, I mean, it feels really goddamn real when you're watching this, that, like, this woman is having a nervous breakdown and is seeing about to die, evidently. But, like, it's just at her, like, snapping point, the facade of her being, I'm in charge, I know what I'm doing, is 100% gone. She's like a child now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just just really interesting, man. And then and we had a scene, you know, Mike did like a confessional because we we gave them almost the same note, where it's like, you know, we gave Heather, we're like, you know, walk, you know, walk away, you know, go somewhere a little, you know, close to the tent, but a little where Mike's not going to hear you, and just kind of, you know, this is it, you're done. This is the this is your last will, you know, testament, basically. Um, and we gave the same direction to Mike, and he did one in the tent. Uh, after her and um, it was really good but you couldn't have both you couldn't have two of them you know especially after Heather's like Heather's just kind of like there was just that's the scene that kind of grounds the whole the whole theme of the film like her you know her you know addiction to this her dedication to this film has led them into this terrible situation you know Um, yeah and then, so, and then, you know, we had let them go to sleep and then we woke them up with, you know, Josh yelling from the woods, which was a, you know, just a, a boom box with a, with a cassette of, of, of uh, Josh yelling in it. Uh, Josh was already in New York at this point. He was back home. Um, but, you know, when they, when they first see this house, that's the first time they saw the house. Um, you know, and, um, we tried to uh, we tried to direct you know because the directing notes were always a challenge because you had to direct people you had to direct the actors and give them like distinct you know concrete notes but at the same time you wanted to keep things a little you know you know mystical a little you know uh, nebulous because you didn't you know you didn't want them to you know to know what was happening and here we just basically put a bunch of wood against that door so they wouldn't go into that door. The only door we left open was the one they, that Mike went through. Um, and then the directions on this day was like, for Mike, it was like, you know, keep listening, keep following, you know, listen to what the voice, I don't know if I said voice or not, but keep listening, you know, the, the, the sounds will guide you. And it was something like you will you will go in and then you will go up and then you will end up down, you know, and it's OK if you leave Heather, you know, if you abandon Heather during this, you know, during this time. Um, so right now they're just trying to they are both trying to figure out what the hell are we supposed to do in here? And yeah. we have um, a, a, another boom box upstairs in the attic and basically um at a certain point, I don't know if it was me, I think it was me with walkie-talkies, I would be like, okay, let's do the upstairs voices, and then they would, they would turn on the boom box, and that, that, that's what led them upstairs. Um, and then we had another boom box in the cellar with Josh again yelling, um, 
and then we after a little while upstairs we turned that on and then they ran down you know and the rest is history um but this is all the original day there's a certain point here where it turns into like the next day because we ran out of batteries for the film camera for the light on the film camera um but um this is all you know this is all just them hearing and 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 uh you know, taking cues from our audio guy. Uh, he was, there was somewhere up here hiding behind one of these walls. Yeah. Um, and then Heather follows him slowly. And, and I thought that, you know, this was the original idea was always to have, you know, the mic with the video camera and, you know, with the audio and then the 60 millimeter camera doesn't have audio. You have to, you know, record audio on the side. And so obviously they've abandoned the, the, that recorder. And uh, just having the audio just from Mike's point of view just really added a lot of, like, a creepy factor to it, to her footage. It's almost ghostly, like, you know. Um, somewhere around here is where we switch to the next day. Yeah. I think we got this, and Mike, you know, this is all original. But then I think once we go back to Heather, that's the next day. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I remember hearing Mike said when the first time you guys did it, he also hit like the off button on the camera, so like they yeah. lost the audio as well. But yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, what can you say more about? It? I mean, it's obviously leading. It's you know, we're about to have the most iconic shot of the movie, or one of the most iconic, and then of horror movies in general. And like, it's crazy how you said that you came up with this very close to the ending because this feels like, especially when you had already written the Rustin Parr stuff with the kids in the corner, like that feels like that was like, I always assumed you had that in mind. This is how the movie's going to end. Mike in the corner. And then there you go. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was like, again, it was like, we didn't know how we were going to end it. And it was more like, are we going to have a big, you know, we didn't have any money, but you know, Ben Rock, our production designer was, you know, he was, you know, he knew what he was doing. He was very talented art you know, art director, um, an artist. So, and, and Greg, the same way, like, you know, we, we were, we were prepared to do like a real, you know, like something cool there, like somebody coming out of the ground or somebody levitating or some, you know, but every time we came up with an idea, we're like, Oh, that's, that's terrible. You know, like, cause how do you end this movie? You know, mm -hmm. how do you end the Blair Witch project, you know? And, um, and luckily we came up with that ending and then, you know, we kind of staged it at the last minute and, and it worked, you know? Um, but it was, uh, you know, again, it's, it's one of these moments that you're like, you know, things happen and they don't, uh, you don't have any explanation for it, but every, it just, it just seems like everything that happened, um, uh, you know, that, that happened, that could happen right for a movie happened with Blair Witch, you know what I mean? Like everything kind of lined up and there was just a lot of, um, you know, good people willing to, to do work for free and to put in a lot of their time and um, and the collaboration between, you know, Dan and me and Greg and um, Heather, Josh and Mike and Ben and Rick, you know, all the production people, the actors, directors, the producers, like it really was very much like a, you know, uh, you know, it, it taught me that, like I said before, it taught me like a very valuable lesson about filmmaking where, you know, it's about, it's about the community, you know, you have to choose your community, you know, properly, obviously, you have to cast the film properly, you have to, 
you know, make sure that your DP knows what they're doing and is, you know, and, and he or she is, um, you know, connected with the style and with the sensibility of what you're trying to bring to the film. But a lot of it, you know, is just kind of let's set, set all that stuff up and then let the people do their job, you know, because people will bring so many great ideas, especially in television for me, like the people bring so many great ideas when you, when you let them do their jobs, you know? Yeah. So, well, and uh, just, we're now wrapping up. So just want to, again, thank you, Eduardo, for coming on here with us. You know, this has made this commentary a uh, joy to do. And um, you, if you want to replace Jacob permanently, um, I think <laughs> yeah. we could do that. I, I doubt I could fill those shoes, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, so, thanks for having me, man. It was fun. I, I haven't done this in a while, so it was uh, it was good to chat about the movie. While yeah, watching. so... So yeah, so um, stay tuned to our channel. Later in the month, we will be having an exclusive Q&A with um, Eduardo Sanchez about the legacy of the Blair Witch Project and so on. So thank you guys and have a good night. Thank you. See ya.